we're wrapping up today this series that we've been doing since I arrived, and it's all about identity. It's not about what you do. I've said it several times now. It's about who you are at your core. And we've walked through this idea of you being alive in Christ. And that is good news because sometimes at the end of the day or at the end of the week or at the end of the month, or some of you are coming up on a year and you're saying, man, I don't feel very alive. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's not about you. It's Christ alive in you. And sometimes you just need to be still and know that God is breathing life over you. That you are fully known and fully loved. That the darkest, deepest parts of your closet, the skeletons that lie there, God knows them and he loves you anyway. That you are made new. You're not a little bit refurbished. That you're completely, fully in Christ made new. And that is a continual process. And aren't we glad of that? I'm so glad I'm not the person I was yesterday, the day before. As God is continuing to make me new. And he's making you new too. And last week we talked about this idea of being talented right? That we look around sometimes, we see people who are all kinds of talented, and here we are with just a little bit, just a little offering. God made you for a purpose, and with that purpose comes responsibility, that God calls you into living into what he wants you to do in this life. That's who you are. Today, before we kind of move into our theme for today, I thought it was really important to kind of show you a little something. It's kind of show and tell, right? So that's what the sermon is today, a little show and tell back from second grade. I have a couple pictures I want to show you because I think it's going to set the stage a little bit for us to understand what we're talking about a little bit more. So if you have a Bible, you can turn open to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to begin today, but I want to show you a couple of pictures first. The first one is this, and this is is all about perspective today. This is all about perspective today. So look at this picture really quick. And then I want you, if you see, if you see a rabbit in this picture, I want you to hold up your hand. If you see a duck in this picture, I want you to hold up your hand. Now, if you see both, there you go. How many of you saw both right away? Liars. No, you didn't. I'm kidding. I'm joking. How many of you saw a duck right away? How many saw a rabbit right away? Yeah. Then when I mentioned one or the other, you're like, oh yeah, there it is. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Next one up here. Here we go. Perspective and photo. How many of you have ever taken a shot, not like this, but something like this, where you were trying to capture something that looked a little bit different than what it was in real life? And so you were taking a perspective shot to make it look like something that wasn't actually there. There's a perspective shot that makes it look like this guy's kind of walking on or using these cars as roller skates. I'm not really sure what's going on. He's doing something there and it changes the perspective. The next one looks like this. There we go. This is awesome. I picked that just because I laughed too hard when I saw it. It's 
it's both cool and frightening, you know, and I'm, the more I look at it, I still can't quite figure out where that baby's head is, but um, I don't see blood, so that's good. So perspective, perspective changes what we see, doesn't it? Yeah. Last one. Now this one right here. Yeah, here we go. This is interesting. I'm going to how many of you think that the window on, I guess it would be your left, my right, is smaller than the other window on your right? You are shaking your head because you know it must be a trick. <laughs> it's not because that's not what your mind is telling you, right? Because perspective says that one window is significantly smaller than the other window, but in all reality, they have designed this illusion to make it look like one is as bigger than the other, but they're actually the same size. Interesting, right? Perspective. Last one I think I have. Here we go. Oh, how many of you remember this one? Do you remember this from about eight years ago? The, the dress that broke the internet, right? It was, it was either a blue and black dress or a white and gold dress. How many of you see black and blue? All right, you're going to heaven for sure. How many of you see white? And I'm kidding, I'm kidding. How many see white and gold? I, how do you see that? I just don't. This, this is the reason why perspective, the reason why I chose this one last because you're gonna talk about this the whole rest of the day, right? The reason why I chose this one is because this one is so obvious in how we react to it, right? Some of you, like myself, we will see that dress as blue and black, and it's blue and black all day long, and there is no, I cannot figure out how you see any other color in that at all. And some of you, some of you, you'll see white and gold, and you can't figure out how anybody else sees anything different. Let me tell you something. We take that attitude right there. And we apply it to the church. And all of a sudden, don't we have problems? This, my friends, is where we're going to pick up in Ephesus, in Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. As Paul begins to write to this church that is starting up, this church in Ephesus is located in, in, a, in a port. It's a major port where everybody does commerce and trade. It's where ships are coming in and people are traveling through. And it has been the hub for hundreds and hundreds of years of all kinds of different religions and all kinds of different philosophies and all kinds of different people are coming in and out of Ephesus. And the church begins, it's meager, it's lowly, starting its status, and it is struggling. It's struggling because it's full of Greeks and it's full of Jews and it's full of people who have all kinds of different religious backgrounds and different religious perspectives and ways to see life and God and Christ and all of these different views. And they can't possibly see how somebody sees it different. And so Paul has to write to them and say, listen, this is going to be really crucial for you to understand your identity, who you are as a church. It's going to be critical that you understand this perspective from God and not from what you want the church to be and look like and function. It is critical when it comes to the church that we understand it from the right perspective.
So if you have your Bibles open, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And here's what happens preceding this. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he has this completely diverse crowd. It's this hub, it's this DNA of a, a, a whole melting pot. And he, he praises them and, and he gives thanks for them. And then he reminds them of their past. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You were once lost, but now you're found. You were once you and now you're somebody new. And then in verse 11 in chapter 2, he picks up and he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are the Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the human body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. This is in the past, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier by dividing the wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the Christ by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What is Paul talking about here to the church in Ephesus? Essentially what he's saying is I get it. I get the perspective thing. Because there were some of you that were far from God and you had no hope. In fact, it was clear. It was clear as day. We didn't have to look very far. Paul would say it's, it was physical. And then there were some of you that were in the in group. And what that created was hostility. Folks, today, do we have hostility anywhere among any group of anybody in this whole world? My goodness gracious. You don't have to go far, do you? And Paul says, listen, do you know what, do you know what Jesus' ministry was? Oh, it was a ministry of reconciliation. It was a ministry of peace. It was a ministry where he took people who had different perspectives and different thoughts, and he brought them together as one. And he reconciled them so that they would both have access to the Father through one spirit. See, Paul knew and he addressed the fact that, sure, we're, we're coming from all kinds of angles. Some of you are Jews and you have had your laws and you have had Moses and you've had a rich, rich heritage of having this relationship with the Father. And some of you, you've, you, you've gone different directions and you haven't had that same hope. But together now in Christ, there's something different that's happening. See, outside of Christ, outside of Christ, Diversity is met 
with hostility. When somebody doesn't look like, think like, act like, believe like you, that's met with hostility. And that's why it's dangerous to post anything on Facebook or Instagram, right? Because you start to put something out and somebody doesn't agree with it and all of a sudden you're in this all kinds of argument because outside of Christ, diversity is met with hostility. But inside, in the presence of Christ, diversity is met with peace. And this is crucial. I mean, this is who the church is. It's our DNA. It's not what we do. It's who we are. So as we come together with all kinds of different perspectives and different pasts and sometimes different beliefs and different ways of getting there, we aren't met together with hostility. We're met together with peace. And that's what makes the church different, but wonderful. And Paul's not done. He's not just saying that we've melded these two groups together and we have peace. He's going to take it even a step further. Verse 19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his, underline this, highlight this, remember this, household. You're members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. Oh, such a sweet, sweet sentence here. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's the church. That's the church. And in him, you two are being built. You're being built. You're not done yet. You're not finished yet. You haven't accomplished it yet. Together, you're being built to become a dwelling place by which God lives through his spirit. You've been around somebody who has a, an unkind spirit before? It's like... If they were happy, they, they forgot to tell their face a long time ago. And you're pretty sure they never smiled since like 1983, you know? Whatever it is, it's just, it just seems like, man, their spirit is bent on, on anger or frustration or bitterness. And you don't have to be around them long to think, man, I, I, if I'm around them very long, I'm going to become like that. You been around somebody like that? You been somebody like that before? On the other hand, you have been around somebody who, man, it's just like being around them gives you, you can't help but smile. You can't help but laugh. You can't help but enjoy yourself when you're around them because they have such a different spirit. And Paul, is, as he's writing the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, God is taking this diversity that you have and he is creating it not just as one, but as one household, one, one group of people that lives together, functions together, loves together. And through that, everybody else gets to experience this spirit that lives in you. And I'm telling you, it's life changing. It's life changing. That's who 
That's who you are. Paul asked the church in Ephesus to change their perspective on their relationship with one another. No longer is it hostility. No longer, remember how he talks about, you remember when? How many of you have ever been a part of a group that you weren't a part of before when something else happened? And every time they get together, what do they do? Remember back when, and what can you do in that scenario? Well, you don't add any value. I mean, you could be a listener, but you're not going to be able to participate in it. And Paul takes that away. And he says, listen, God is doing a new thing through you by which things continue to come up. You're continuing to be built and the old things are gone. And now you're a part of building something continually. This is what God does. So they go from hostility towards one another to household with one another. Been thinking about Wellhouse. And where does the future go? What do we look like together? And I love this idea of household. I love this idea of family. Because family is made up of a lot of diverse people. There's people in my family, man, they're crazy. <laughs> but they're my family. And they probably think I'm crazy. And I'm their family. And we love each other. And we support one another. And we utilize all of the different parts of the family as one whole function. See, family, family changes everything. And you don't realize that until you don't have a family. You ever wonder why Jesus is so concerned with widows and orphans? Because they're without what? Without a family. So Christ calls them in. To be a part of a group of people who love and care about them as family. And family has three distinct functions. First of all, family is a place where you belong. For better or for worse, I'm a part of the Cunningham family. There are parts of that that are wonderful and there's parts of that that are weird and there are parts of that that are unexplainable. But that's my family. Wellhouse is a family. There are parts of that that are wonderful, and there's parts of that that are weird, and there's parts of that we can't exactly explain. And you've probably seen some of that. But what I want to assure you is that, that we are a family, and it is a place to belong. That as people come in the door, it's a place for them the orphans and the widows, the people that have no other family. It's a place for them to belong and to belong to one another. As Paul writes other places, he talks about that the body functions best together, that there are all kinds of different parts, but as we come together with all kinds of different parts, we just function better. 
Ever had a pain in your foot? Pain in just a small little area? And you notice how your whole body is thrown off just by one little thing. A couple of years ago, I, I started having this pain in my toe which is weird, right? I mean, just a toe pain. And, and so I went to the doctor and she said, do you like red meat? And I laughed because I thought, who doesn't? And then I found out people don't, right? So uh, that's just my perspective. And she says, you have gout. And I said, does that mean no more red meat? And she said, probably need to dial it back. You know, how much do you eat? And I said, like five pounds a day. And she said... <laughs> Start with a half a pound, okay? Um, and it was funny because my toe hurting affected the way that I could put on shoes. It changed my whole outfit, right? I, had to, I, had to, I was wearing slippers and flip-flops everywhere. All of a sudden, my whole wardrobe changed. The way I walked changed. The things I thought about changed because all of a sudden it was like, normally I might walk to go get something to drink. And now I'm thinking, I don't need to drink that bad. I could just sit here and dehydrate all day long because it hurts too bad. One pain, one injury, one part that's not moving right affects the whole thing. And as Paul writes, he says, listen, it, you may feel like a, such a small part, but man, you are, you belong. You belong. Another part of a family is that it's there to bless. I don't say this to, to puff myself up. In fact, I'll, I will tell you this uh, over and over and over again, but I got a couple of master's degrees and it's not because I was ever the smartest person in the room. It was just, I was willing to work. That was what it was. And it doesn't matter how many master's degrees, how many recognitions I've had. When I go home, <laughs> you know, I'm the guy who peels potatoes for Thanksgiving dinner, right? I'm sweeping up the floor because in my family, it doesn't matter what status you have. It matters how you bless one another. So it may not necessarily be my lifelong gift in peeling potatoes or sweeping up the floor, but I understand my role in my family is to bless those around me. My family doesn't exist to build me up. My functionality is to bless those around me. And so I do those things to bless them. You know what's interesting about being a parent? I found this out on day one. Is that your kids don't really care how tired you are. <laughs> when they want or need something, you kind of have to go for it, right? So if your child is waking up in the middle of the night and they have messed themselves and it's time to change the diaper, you can't walk in and say, listen, knock it down a little bit. I'll get to you at 7 a.m., but this midnight stuff is... No, that doesn't work, does it? You're there to bless someone else. That's what it means to be in a family. When you go to a restaurant, you sit down and from almost moment one, really the moment that you walk into a restaurant, you begin, you begin kind of judging or critiquing things. So how long does it take to get to a table? It's 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes? And they sit you down and 
if the drinks aren't coming, the waitress or waiter isn't coming in the next few minutes to get you something to drink. It's like, how long? How long have we got to wait in this place? And the food takes a little bit longer. It's a little close, not quite right. And all of a sudden you have these critiques of things. But imagine if you took that same philosophy and you applied it to your home at dinner time, right? And you tell your spouse, man, it uh, seems like it's taking you quite a long time to get dinner ready tonight. I'm going to sit down and wait. Right? Yeah, you get it in your face. <laughs> and then you sit there and you say, uh, oh, my drink's empty. Refill time. I noticed that the food wasn't, it was mm, subpar tonight. It was a little cold. That's not the way it functions in a family, is it? I mean, I don't know about your house, but at our house, everybody pitches in. And we're thankful for the person who prepared and made the food, even if it's not our favorite thing. One of the things we like to do around the table is just say thank you. Thanks for dinner. Thanks for taking the time. We don't do that as much at restaurants, do we? Because we're paying for a service. But with our family, we have a different perspective, don't we? Because we're there to bless someone else not just ourselves. Another perspective of family is that we become. We are transformed into a different person than we were yesterday. Imagine just for a moment that we, our last child, Bear, he's seven, he'll be eight here in a couple of weeks. But imagine just for a moment that, that we show up on the scene a few weeks ago and we tell you, here's our son Bear. He's going to be eight here in just a few more weeks, but he's you know only 10 pounds. And, and you notice that we give him a pacifier and we rock him all the time. He's wearing a diaper and you're, you're going to begin to think, is there something wrong? Something right. Because, because healthy Things grow. See, in the family of Christ, that is true too. Healthy things grow. Healthy things transform. We mature and grow, listen to this, from sons and daughters to mothers and fathers. There's a time in your life where, where listen, it's, it's nice to be, have somebody mentor you and feed you and walk alongside of you and encourage you, and that's all wonderful. But there's a time where, where we have to kind of transform and we take on the role. And I've noticed this more and more in my life as, as a few of these gray hairs start to pop out, that, that I went from being a mentee to a mentor. It's a place where I'm not just becoming different things to different people, but I'm becoming more like Christ. And the way that I treat others and the way I talk and the way that I think and the way that I act, I'm becoming more like Christ. And that's what we want Wellhouse to be, our identity, who we are. This is a place where people can belong where they are with family who loves them and cares about them, is concerned for them, and will walk alongside of them no matter what else happens in their life. 
It's a place where we look to bless other people. That we're not about us first, but we're looking always for ways to bless. Bless our community. Bless the people we come in contact with. Bless the people who are sitting a chair or two over. And it's a place where we become. Where we become who God has created us to be. Band, if you want to come on up. I'm going to close out with this thought. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. If I was going to kind of summarize that, I would do so like this. You, church, are being built together. You're all kinds of different parts and pieces, but you're being dwelt or you're being built together. And together, together, you're the dwelling place for the Spirit. And this same Spirit that was with the Father in the very beginning of time, who saw the earth formed, who led people out into Israel, who ministered to the prophets, who comforted Jesus in his trials and his temptation, was present at Pentecost and set the hearts and minds of the, earlier, uh, the early church on fire for God. The same spirit who has spoken through songs and poets, pastors and preachers, visionaries and missionaries. The same spirit who has comforted you in loss and laurel, in discouragement and in hope. The same spirit that fostered a movement in Wellhouse almost seven years ago today is the same spirit that is rising up at Wellhouse today. It is the same spirit that brings a relentless and a burning desire to be the kingdom here and now, and it will not wait. It is the same spirit that will join together different parts and different pieces, different perspectives and different past, and it will join it together as one household, one family it may not be normally joined or paired together at all, but through Christ, it will be one. It is a spirit that cannot uh, just change your life, but will change your life. It is a spirit that just that will change the church, it will change the community, and it will change the world because it has. And we rely on that. And we hope in that. And we trust in that. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for you. We are thankful for what you're doing in us. We're thankful that you take broken pieces and different parts and you put them together and you call them family. And God, no matter what the past was, you are working today. You are working, we're told, all things for your good. So God, the people that came in today, the people that are joining us today online, man, and it has been a week. Their peace and the part seems small and hopeless. God, would you show them that they belong? There's a family that you've created to love them and support them and surround them. And God, for, for those of us who uh, we showed up today and we're, we're 
we see you moving. Would you call us to be people who bless those around us? We're blessing our families and we're blessing our friends and we're blessing our enemies. We're blessing our coworkers and our neighbors because that's what you called us to be. And God, would you call us even deeper to a family member who becomes, that you would transform our lives that we will be different people tomorrow than we were today. That the struggle of sin and challenges and temptations, God, that the, those things would shift and that we would, our hearts and our minds would be more focused on you. We would be less proud. Be less quick to anger. Our judgment would drop we would love people, love you. God, help, help us as a church to be one household, be people of all kinds of pasts. You're building, continuing to build so that your spirit can live inside of us. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, through whom all of this it seems impossible, but it's not impossible. It seems ideal, but it's so real. We pray all of this in the mighty, powerful, wonderful, amazing, incredible name of Jesus Christ.